thank you so much, Laura, for kicking us off and with prayer and invoking the, the spirit to be with us as we get into lesson number seven. Does everyone have this manual? This is where we take all of our lessons from. We're on lesson number seven, America Shared the Story. And it's 12 lessons. So we're half, halfway through, over halfway through. And it's the best resource. It has all kinds of scriptures, video links, stories, books to read for the littles, for the middles, adult patriotic books. It's just, I, I've used it for years uh, as I've taught my children and, and, and as I've taught in the community and just needed, you know, to have some beautiful stories and quotes and verses uh, handy. And so I'd really recommend uh, it because a lot of the material that we'll talk about tonight is found in there. And so, um, Anyways, there are 12 of these lessons in our cottage meeting series. And, uh, you know, I always say we're about liberty beginning at home. You know, how can mama or grandmother teach something that she doesn't know? So we come together on these online cottage meetings. Since COVID, we started teaching online. Or we have cottage meetings, study groups all around the country, pockets of liberty, I say, these discussion groups of women coming together to share with one another, to teach one another, and uh, to learn these stories and these principles of liberty and freedom in ways that we can shore up this rising generation in the communities that we live in. It's been said that 10 small discussion groups in a community will do more to create a new way of life than attending 100 mass meetings with 100 or 1,000 people in attendance. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with attending rallies or, or those kind of things. But I believe, and I've seen in my experience, that what really moves the needle is when you change the home. Because for, when you change the mother, then she changes the home. And then it spreads out into the neighborhood, into the school systems and into the communities. And that's when you begin to raise up this next generation of children, of patriots that will hold the line. So you change the mother from within and then she changes the four walls of her home. And that's where true change begins to occur. So I hope that you'll enjoy our lesson today because it's chock full of inspiring and soul stirring stories, I think. So let's have our first slide is America Share the Story, lesson number seven. And, um, you know, it is Memorial Day weekend and it's kind of the kickoff of summer. All the, the pools here in Washington, D.C. are opening. The weather's getting so nice and there's parades here. There's a big National Memorial Day parade where all the branches of the military and all their bands and all the you know, the four stars and the five stars are out. And, and uh, so I don't know what's going on in your community, but I hope you'll take, uh, you know, use this as an opportunity to have discussions with the people that you love, your children, your grandchildren about some of these war heroes who lost their life in these wars as we honor these fallen soldiers and, and maybe attend the graveside of people that you love that you know you want to go and honor them and take flags and stick them in and maybe you know read some uh, of the stories that we've been learning I, I recommended in yesterday's class that wonderful story of Nathan Hill the young man who was hung he was a spy in in Washington's army and and 
he was caught and he said, I only wish I had 10,000 lives to give to my country just before he was hung. And so that story is in the cottage meeting manual or show them the little video we showed last week of you know the story behind the Star Spangled Banner, how the flagpole, even though it was at a funny angle was being held up by the bodies of young boys and men uh, to, to hold the line and secure uh, Fort McHenry. So take the opportunity to, to read to them a few of these stories and even some stories that we're gonna talk about tonight. So let's see the next slide, um, Tressie. There's an old Indian proverb that says, tell me the facts and I'll learn, tell me the truth and I'll believe, but tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. So the purpose of this lesson today is to share the power of stories in promoting liberty and raising patriots. We know that stories are a powerful medium to teach the pillars of liberty and really are the best ways, I think, to uh, plant the seeds in the heart of this rising generation. We're gonna talk um, this evening about restoring the art of storytelling in our homes. You know, teaching facts might educate the mind, but a story educates the heart. And that really is the core of motivating and inspiring and changing behavior. And we talked a little bit about that last week with the power of patriotism. It, it's going to take more than just knowing the facts or, you know, the constitutional articles or amendments. We want to get the stories behind some of these inspired documents. So the stories of faith and virtue and patriotism from the past really will be the bridge that allows us to secure liberty moving forward, to perpetuate um, it. Let's see that next uh, quote. This is such a great quote, and I know you've heard it, and I use it often. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction by President Reagan. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States when men were free. So how do we do this? How do we fight for it, protect it, and mostly how do we hand it down? How do we hand down this American story to to our uh, children and to our grandchildren. I think one of the best things we can do is, is by taking them to the places where the stories took place. Let's see some of these slides here. So our uh, wonderful young mama, Tyler, who's our state liaison from Virginia, just sent these to me uh, last week. She took her three littles and look, she has her hand full. She strapped that big little fellow chubby boy there, so darling to her. And she's a little lady too. I don't know if you're on the uh, uh, call tonight, the class tonight, Tyler, but she took her little kids to Mount Vernon. This is Mount Vernon uh, with another Moms for America and just let them play and run around and, and to fill the spirit of Martha and George. And, and um, it's a beautiful, if you haven't been to Mount Vernon, put it on your bucket list. And if you can take your children or grandchildren, I think these kind of places are hundred times better than the amusement parks or Disney World or that kind of thing. So good going. And I know it's not always easy taking littles to some of these places and maybe they don't even really understand what's going on, but you just keep taking them to these, I call them sacred places. And, and it will be a natural thing for them to go to patriotic places throughout their life if you start when they're young, you know? And so let's see some of the other pictures 
I live in Washington, D.C. Oh, and so here's Fort McHenry in Baltimore. And so this is also her little family. She took them to several months ago. And oh, look, all the strollers. And, and once again, they probably didn't catch most of what went on. But there's definitely a feeling that when you take your children, they can feel that there's a, a specialness about these places. And I think these are some of the books that she purchased in the bookstore. And that's how you begin to build your I Love America library is every time you go to these sites, all of them have bookstores and just buy a few little books. And that's a good way to help them remember or to teach them when you come home, you know, what, what was that big flag all about? So let's see, let's zip through some of these little slides here. Uh, the next slide, Tressie. So this is the St. Paul Church. Every time we go to New York City, I always take my kids to um, St. Paul's and that, that slide before is where George Washington was sworn in as the president in front of Fed Federal Hall. And then their first uh, official uh, congressional act, everyone that were leaders of this nation walked a few blocks to St. Paul's and had a church service and covenanted with God that they would be a nation under God and that they would evoke his protection if they followed his holy laws, his godly law. And um, let's see the next slide. And then there's a picture in that St. Paul's church. It's right down in the Wall Street area of New York City. And that picture there is where George Washington sat that day. And so I've, I've told these stories and taken my kids to St. Paul's um, in New York City because they like to go shopping, but I like to take them to the patriotic places and they'll go. I mean, if you take them enough, then, you know, eventually they get their little outfit, but we, we do some of these sites and they all like to go. So let's see the next slide. Tracy, I'm not quite sure what that next slide is. Oh, and you, I think uh, we went to Plymouth, Massachusetts last Thanksgiving about six months ago. And um, there's a wonderful statue of the Mayflower mother in uh, Plymouth in the middle of town. And I told my girls the story of the Mayflower mothers, how three fourths of those mothers on the Mayflower died that first year because they, they gave their food to their little children to live and they laid their bodies on those cold winter nights over their children to warm them. And those mothers subsequently died for their you know, children and then for their future generations. And so, you know, when we saw this little Mayflower mother, I just, you know, I just almost had to weep. And we definitely had to do a photo shoot because the girls know the story and how we as mothers today are going to have to give our best energies and time and tears and sweat to, to secure the rising generation, uh, you know, their freedom and their ability to live their life and to worship in the way that you know, they want to, and that means girls, you're going to have to rise up and be the next generation of Mayflower mothers. And so, you know, I, you just plant these little seeds over and over and over. Let's see the next slide. And these are all stories. So there's something powerful about telling, taking them to the place where the story took place. And we went to Bunker Hill uh, six months ago, and that's the great story where the General Prescott told the um, soldiers, don't shoot the red coats until you can see the whites of their eyes because gunpowder was scarce and the courage that must have taken. So, you know, you tell these little stories at these sites and mostly you can't take them to the sites, but it's a real thrill when you can take them to the sites. Let's see the next slide. Trustee, so in the 5,000 year leap, you know, I like this book, um, The 28 Principles That Changed the World. 
in the beginning, there's a, a, a foreword that talks about this unusual title, the 5,000 year leap that students of history will know from the beginning of recorded history until the founding of the American nation, human civilization really made relatively little progress. I mean, those who came to the new world in the 15, 1600s were still plowing fields behind animals and moving about in ox carts and hand weaving cloth the same way that they had done for thousands of years. Then beginning uh, with Jamestown and Plymouth, something remarkable began to happen. And it talks about this in the foreword in the 5,000 year leap. The human spirit was set free and creativity began to flourish and experimentation abounded. Americans were learning how to experience freedom. They were able to own their own labor. They were given lands. And when you have freedom, it sparks creativity and it unlocks ingenuity and imagination. And this is what began to happen. And after you know, the, these proven principles of liberty were institutionalized when the US constitution uh, was written in 1787. It took less than 200 years from the time of the signing of the constitution that men, let's see that next slide, were actually walking on the moon. In 200 years, we literally made a 5,000 year leap uh, living under, you know, these principles of freedom. In the article in lesson number seven, uh, entitled The Story That Unites Us in the supplemental material today in our lesson, we're reminded that this American story is unique in all the world. And it is a story that unites us as a people. Unfortunately, it is a story that is largely no longer being told, especially to our children or into this or in our, our schools or universities. Imagine how can we believe a story when we don't even know the story or we haven't heard it in our homes or our, our family hasn't talked about it or my kindergarten teacher never told me these things. So when you know some of these young people hear some of these faith inspiring stories, they're cynical of it, they're doubtful of it. It's kind of reminds me of my son Frankie last week. I showed you the picture of him with his little, sorry, my little doggy, with his uh, hand over his heart, the, my son who's in the NBA. And no one, no one else has their hand over their heart. And he said, mom, these are good boys, good men. They just don't know the story behind the flag. So no one really taught them, you know, some, some of these stories, which have caused them to, to disbelieve or doubt or not even know, you know, how to respect or honor certain things from our history. So as a mother... <laughs> All right, we are in a unique and powerfully influential position. Ralphie, Ralphie. Oh, goodness sakes. Ralphie is acting up. As mamas and grandmothers, we're in a position, a powerful position to promote the love of liberty in the hearts of our children and grandchildren simply by sharing the stories. It's time we kindle these flames if we haven't been. So this story, this lesson is chock full of stories and articles and resources that will help us to know how to do that. So let's see the next slide. And the wonderful, <laughs> I don't even know what he, Ralphie, Ralphie, come here. Ralphie is the cutest little English bulldog. And sometimes he just barks for the heck of it. I think he's having a little barking spell now, but um, I've got another dog all around me here, Abby. So the Promises of the Constitution is um, a wonderful book with these short little page and a half vignettes. 
And a lot of little stories are embedded and they're easy to read and discuss uh, with your children or grandchildren. And in uh, <laughs> vignette 2.5, it tells the stories of the Puritans. We think of them as such like stern little people, but it tells funny little stories about their life. Let's see that next slide. I think it's a little picture of the Puritans. And then the next slide, Trusty, tells about the bravery of uh, the citizens during the Revolutionary War. And here is the canon, the miracle of the canon story that the cannons that were brought forth to George Washington's army on a giant sled by the great war hero, Henry Knox, who would go on to become the Secretary of Defense under Washington. That's a great story there uh, in Promises of the Constitution. And uh, vignette 4-3, let's see the next slide, tells about <laughs> the battle for Boston, our hometown, Liberty, that in 1776, the Redcoats actually abandoned Boston and really gave the American Revolutionary back its heart, that city of Liberty, uh, Boston. And then vignette 4-4, let's see that next slide, tells the miracle, oh, the, the fog on Long Island that rolled in that allowed 9,000 of George Washington's troops. No one is in the house right now, so it's just me and the dogs. I, I don't even have anyone to get control of the dogs. So it talks about the, uh, how those troops, you know, sell through the night under that cloud of fog. And when the British woke up the next morning to go conquer them, they had vanquished, they had averted the British. And then of course, let's see the next slide. Uh, vignette four or five talks about the miracle of the crossing of the Delaware on that Christmas night, that cold uh, a night when they crossed from the new, um, the uh, actually the Philadelphia, yeah, Pennsylvania side to the New Jersey side when the morale was so low and the troops were gonna get ready to desert the ranks at the end of the year and George Washington was desperate for a victory and they got it in Trenton and then went on uh, in Princeton. It's called Washington's Crossing. Let's see that next slide. So every year on Christmas day, they reenact this crossing and George Washington is dressed up and he takes one of the boats. And um, I keep telling my kids, we're gonna go on, I mean, it's just hard to get on Christmas morning to get up there, but I think it would be such a fun thing to do. A few years ago, I took my little baby there at the Delaware River, Jersey on one side, Pennsylvania on the other. And that's the home that George Washington had his evening meal before he crossed on Christmas night to the New, New Jersey side. And, and so, you know, you tell these stories and you have, the, of course, the tour guides and the visitor centers tell all these wonderful stories. Let's see the next slide. And you get to see the boat barns and exact replica, the size of the boats that went across and, and uh, some of the homes that some of the officers stayed in for a few weeks before the crossing. Let's see that next slide. Uh, and then, oh, oh, and then lastly, vignette four six, four six in Promises of the Constitution. And once again, these are all just page and a half tells of George Washington's little ragtag army uh, during Valley Forge, where two thousand of the men died of, of disease, and and it was such a hard time uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, and a, the, a turning point came when this gentleman, Captain von Steubing. Uh, Prussian general came and whipped those troops into shape and it was really the turning point in the war. Let's see the next slide and it it has all kind of, um, of the shelters and the log cabins and the houses and the officers quarters. It's 26 miles. You can take your bike up 
and uh, it's just a beautiful day. There's a brand new visitor center there. And so, you know, what an amazing thing to, you know, have your kids know these stories and then to one summer take a, a trip across the country and attend some of these sites and have really an experience that would be for them. I would, let's see the next slide. <laughs> I would recommend Ralphie, Ralphie, come here, Ralphie. Okay, I'm so sorry. All right, and here's just more of Valley Forge and our bikes. Um, let's see the next slide. I would really recommend listening to seminar number one uh, of Healing of America because it's all about the those miracle stories um, of, of this founding of the country. And you can find this all online. The, the classes there, it would be one, four one-hour classes. And it tells the story of Joan of Arc, Christopher Columbus, the Pilgrims, Samuel Adams, the Sons of Liberty, Thomas Jefferson writing the Declaration of Independence, George Washington and the miracles during the Revolutionary War, and then the Constitutional Convention with James Madison and Benjamin Franklin evoking, uh, you know, the delegates to pray when it looked like the, the whole convention was going to fall apart. It's just great stories. So, a lot of those, um, all of those stories can be found in seminar number one. I'd, I'd, I'd recommend going through and listening to them again because it just helps to lock in those great stories so you can retell them to your children. So the next slide, the Bible tells us our, our, about our stewardship to teach our children. In Deuteronomy 4, 9, it says, Take heed to thyself, lest that, uh, that thou forget the things thy eyes have seen, and they depart from your eyes. And but teach thy sons and thy sons' sons. So he's giving a shout out here to grandmothers, to mothers and grandmothers. Teach your children and your children's grandchildren these things, lest they will forget them. And then Deuteronomy 6 7 says, We are to teach diligently unto our children when thou sittest in that, thy house, when thou walkest by, when they liest down and riseth up. So seize opportunities to teach, whether it's in the car or at the dinner table, or remember I told you last week when we were getting me and my nails done, me and my little 15 year old daughter, <laughs> I was teaching her some of the stories uh, about George, because I asked her, what was that story I was teaching about? She's like, oh yeah, you did mom. <laughs> I'm not sure which, I can't even remember which one it was, but anyways, uh, I've never, uh, my dog never barks, this little guy, and now he won't stop. <laughs> So sorry, I would have to get up and leave class to wring his neck. So I wouldn't do that. So just think about how your mother, <laughs> grandmother taught you. What opportunities did they take to instill stories in you? And, and what were some of your best teaching times with them or with your loved ones? I want you to share some of these uh, at the end of class today. Let's see the next slide, Tressie. Thank you so much. So we know Jesus Christ was the master teacher. He used stories and parables to teach his lessons. And it tells us all throughout the, verse, uh, the verses in the New Testament that Jesus spake unto the multitude in parables. And without parables, he spake not unto them. In the supplemental material of Lesson 7, there are two good articles. Uh, oh, let's see the next slide. So all this week in uh, my little, our family devotional with our little 15 year old, we have five kids, only one left at home. We're going through the New Testament study this year. And uh, we, we've studied the parables of the 10 virgins, the talents, the five, two and one talents and the parable of the sheep and the goat. And what, what they had in common was 
but a certain group of them just did not know God. And that's why they missed out on certain things. They buried their talents or they did not have their oil or they did not feed the hungry or clothe the naked because they just, they didn't know certain things that when you love God, <laughs> you love people. We got a party going on here, a double party. And so um, last week we talked about this little fellow, the story of Zacchaeus. He was short, he was rich, and he was not liked. He was a tax collector. And there was a big crowd of people because Jesus was coming through town and he kind of, Zacchaeus had to push through the crowd and he climbed up on a tree. And uh, of all the people around, he noticed Zacchaeus. So, you know, this is a story, one of the stories uh, uh, me and my daughter studied this week in our little devotional in the morning. And that Jesus saw him, called him by name, knew him and asked if he could come visit him. So this very unpopular short man that Jesus noticed. Jesus notices us. And what are what are we doing, you know, to, to, to notice people? Or, or how are we making our way to spaces where where God resides? And so uh, you know, we do, we just we, we take a story and then we try and liken it. You know, I ask her these questions. You know, do you believe God sees and notices you when when you're thinking he's not there, I mean, he certainly, and he even knew, he knew Zacchaeus's name and not only knew him, but asked if he could come to his home when, you know, no one wanted to have anything to do with this man. So, so God sees the least of, of these, you know, and so if God does, maybe we should be about looking for, or people like Zacchaeus, or, or if we feel like Zacchaeus, sometimes we need to be rest assured that God sees us and he, he knows us. He knows us by name. So anyways, these are all, you know, they're just delicious stories that you can tell just from whole wit alone in the supplemental material. <laughs> Hold on just a second. I just, there might, there might be something going on in here. Halsey. <laughs> Ralphie is like um, uh, he feels like a hundred pounds, but maybe he's fifty pounds. I would just pick him up, but I I'd probably break my back. But anyways, okay, who? Where are we? Let's see. So let's see the next slide. In the first article uh, in the our manual, there is um, it's called "Reading Aloud to Your Children" by Pamela Openshaw, and she's actually the author of "Promises of Constitution." And she was a school teacher when she was a, a young lady. She's a grandmother now, and, and um, she's actually almost blind. She's in her 70s, but she's still teaching and writing. She's just so inspirational to me. But she tells uh, us about reading aloud to her children. What a powerful tool that it is, how it binds you together, and it enhances uh, their little intellectual development. And this combined sensation of speaking and hearing and seeing deepens the learning process and it kind of emboldens the concepts that you're presenting. And uh, discussions before and after the little story provides an opportunity to teach moral concepts, just like little Zacchaeus, you can flesh it out. And, you know, as you, as you read, emotions are aroused, particularly a good piece of fiction gives a child an experience and develops a maturity about times and events and circumstances that they might not otherwise, you know, really be able to understand or 
or experience at such a young age. So uh, the author, Pamela uh, Openshaw, tells of two experiences that il illustrate this point. Um, one took place many years ago when she was a third grade teacher and um, she had chosen Charlotte's Web to read to her children the last 10 minutes of school before the bell rang every day. And they were on the very last chapter of the book one day when Charlotte was dying and Wilbur was meeting her ongoing posterity and the classroom clock ticked mercilessly towards the daily bus departure as she was racing to finish the book, fearful that, you know, she was going to have to stop a page or two short at the very end when it's just so, you know, poignant and, and full of emotion. So that she said the 28 children in the classroom sat immobile, just mesmerized by the ending and they hardly were able to breathe, but <laughs> triumphantly they finished. Hold on just a moment. The, the Marie, my little girl, Marie, Marie, the dogs are just misbehaving. Please, can you take them away? I'm teaching right now. Take them away. I'm teaching. Yeah. Take the doggies upstairs. Whew. Okay. The child has come to rescue rescue me, rescue you from my dogs. I'm so sorry. And so the 28 little children were just spellbound as she was reading Charlotte's Web. They could hardly seem to breathe. And triumphantly, she says, she finished the last sentence and looked into the eyes of the children. So it was made tender by Charlotte's death and Wilbur's pain and consolation. And then the PA system blared its message that the buses were almost ready to depart, but not one of the children moved as they were just held by the emotion of this experience that was they were feeling within them. And she said, as I looked into the eyes of each child, I felt a love for each of those children that endure to this day. Reading good literature just has that effect. And then the second example that Pam gives is the example of reading to her own children. Let's see that next slide. As a mother, she would read to her children every morning before school for decades. And in their, uh, in their home, they would get their children up and they do their little chores and I think practice some of their little instruments. And then she said the most joyful part of the morning routine, and I think she had a large family, was that she would read to them for 20 minutes. And she would read 10 minutes from the Bible and then 10 minutes from a good book. And then everyone would kneel in prayer and they'd pray before everyone scattered to the four winds till nightfall, she said. And so um, one morning she remembers that they were just finishing up this wonderful book. Have you heard of this book, Johnny Tremaine? It's a historical fiction book about a young boy living in Boston uh, during 1770s. He was a silver apprentice and at the time before the Revolutionary War and then during uh, the outbreak of the war, his, his life. And so she said on this day, they were finishing this book, Johnny Tremaine and her five-year-old son, David, who always used to sit right next to her, uh, as they were finishing the final words of the book and our reverence for Johnny Tremaine came over their little group and reverence for the country and just for the revolutionary history. And it just, kind of held everyone silently spellbound when she, you know, read the last page. And, and she said, it seemed like a full minute passed as each child turned inward to capture their little tender personal feelings. And then the little uh, David, who was five, broke the prolonged silence and said, oh, mommy, that was the bestest book in the whole world. 
And then she said, 23 years later, with that memory still fresh in her mind of little David saying it was the bestest book ever, she gave David a new copy of Johnny Tremaine on his wedding day. And they reminisced over the power of that moment all those years earlier. And so um, the question that is asked here in the lesson is what experiences have you had reading to your children or grandchildren or what memories of your mother reading to you? How do you have and how has it impacted you? You know, I know last week I showed the little pictures of the boxcar children and where the red fern grows. I remember my mama reading me those stories. Um, I uh, read to my children, I would sit out in the hallway in their three little bedrooms kind of surrounded each other and I would read to them. They would hop in their beds at night and I would read to them uh, Little Women or Anne of Green Gables or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or every Christmas I read to them the Christmas Carol. And, and it's cute. They have those memories of, and they would always fall asleep and I would read and read. And then I, you know, if anyone was ever awake, I'd keep reading, but inevitably they'd always fall asleep. The author um, in another article in this lesson, Rachel DeMille reminds us that reading, let's see that next slide, Tressie, that reading to our children is such a formative experience at so many levels because you bond, you laugh, you make memories, you you learn it's kind of a shared language, you, you feel gratitude and tenderness and empathy for others, you relive the past, you connect and you deepen uh, affections for those that have come before you, you like them, lessons learned from the past to today, and it's just formative at so many levels. So it occurred to uh, this author of this article um, that when she was teaching a group of young children, the three piggies, that traditional folk tale of the three pigs, and she said, not the Disney version, I call it the dumbed down version, not the Disney-fied version, but the ones that where all the piggies got gobbled up because their houses were not made to last, she began to do what she always did. She asked questions and they had a discussion about the story. And she said, it actually took longer to discuss the story and listen to their little responses than it did to tell the story because there's so much to talk about when you have a good quality story. So, uh, and, and in the article, she, she shares quite a few of the questions that she asked or would have asked about this three piggy story if you wanna read it at some point. And, and she reminds us that the old version of the story um, provides uh, so a lot of fertile ground for discussion, but she, she reminded us that a lot of the commoner modern day versions of stories have been stripped of detail that, that don't make for as good of conversation when some of those details are gone. And so this is why we refer to the classics because they stay around for generation to generation and retelling after retelling uh, are, are enduring because they don't just have one bossy moral at the end, they have a myriad of open-ended questions embedded into the detail. So I think the version of stories that you read do matter, you know, and, and as a, when you read, you begin to discern the abridged version of classics just aren't, just aren't as poignant or moving. And um, clearly not all stories are created equal. It's, it kind of sort of brings to mind that, you know, uh, garbage in, garbage out acronym. I go, giggle, however you want to say that. It, it, that. But it means that the quality of output is determined by the quality of the input. 
And that idea of the Disneyfied version of stories come to mind. I mean, I know how many of us have been horrified in recent years with books or movies and theaters that are really pushing underlying political or social slants and, and cleverly so, you know, uh, just a few nights ago, my little 15-year-old and my 28-year-old daughter were saying how they were watching a popular show on Netflix right now called XO Kitty. And then they said at the end of, I don't know if it's a 10-episode series, XO Kitty, completely oblivious to it, but one of the leading girls uh, becomes bisexual. This is, she's a teenager. And, and it was such a, a cute little love story and then she begins to have feelings for the boyfriend's ex-girlfriend and they're like oh mom it just ruined the story and i'm just clutching my bosom as they're telling me this because it's almost like i dare say you would be hard pressed to find any current form of entertainment movie netflix cable theater that doesn't have someone uh, of the lgbtq uh, persuasion I mean, it's just so normal. And, um, and certainly we're seeing whew, with, you know, all uh, the clothing the, that are pushing transgenderism in the Target stores. And I just read, you probably did too, the Dodgers uh, for Pride Month is, has a, a group of um, gay men who are mocking nuns and the, the Catholic churches, you know, making, making fun of, of of that and um, it's just being shoved and pushed upon our children and um, and it's and it's troubling and it's worrisome right every time we you know read the newspaper we're like oh boy so we're going to talk in a minute about one of the best things we can do is just to teach them teach them morality teach them scriptures within the four walls so when they're exposed to you know raunchy explicit uh, forms of entertainment because they will be they have something to, to weigh it upon and to know that this isn't, isn't normal and not everyone is doing this and not everyone thinks this is a great idea but I think we have to be careful as mothers ourselves about what we are reading are we choosing mindless fluff and stuff as I like to call it or are, are we reading quality materials something that we could turn around and have a discussion and share with our children uh, let's see that next slide. Almost a decade ago, I lived in, in a small town called Hood River, Oregon. It's right on the Columbia Gorge. And I wanted to get to know, there it is. It's so pretty. There's Mount Hood right before it. You almost could see my house. It was just the most, there's Hood River right in front. So I wanted to get to know some of, uh, you know, the neighborhood. So I, I joined a, a book group, kind of like popular fiction um, books, but it was also at the same time when, uh, you know, there were a few moms in town that were worried about what was being taught in our school systems, uh, kind of this global citizenry and kind of some negative aspects of American history and our founding fathers. So one of them was watching Glenn Beck. You've heard me tell the story and he held up the 5,000 year leap and said, mother, you need to start a book group, study these 28 principles of liberty and then go home and teach them to your children. So I started attending that book group as well. And I remember having an epiphany at that time that, and I didn't have a lot of time because I had a lot of young kids. I have five kids at home. The oldest was in middle school and I had a little baby. 
And I thought, look, if I, with what little time I have, if I'm going to read some books, I want it to be something that I can turn around and reteach my children and shore them up for their battles ahead in the classroom or in life. So I eventually stopped attending that popular bestseller book club and uh, began to really embrace those things that I was learning in my, we called ourselves the Daughters of Liberty in Oregon. And I did, we, all of the moms, we began to come home and to teach our children what we were learning. And that's when I incorporated these principles of liberty and these faith stories of America into my little family morning Bible devotional that we had with our children. So as we feel frustrated and worried about some of the things I just mentioned a moment ago about, you know, the impact that they're going to have on our children and even what our children are being taught and how they're being groomed in schools and the universities and through social media, I think a, a simple fix, a fix could be really as simple as having a family reading time with a good book, a classic book, and having thoughtful discussion uh, you know, in the morning or in the evening before you put them to bed or teach them around the dinner table, armor them up so that when they're exposed to some of these things that are not reflective of their values, they will have a, a standard to weigh it against. So um, let's see the next slide. Grandmas, how are you implementing reading um, to your grandchildren? Uh, one of the um, mom's recently said she every night reads to her little nephew because uh, he was kind of struggling. I think he was just a little preteen. And um, and so I'd be interested to hear those who are grandmothers. What are you doing to implement some of these stories? And have you built an I Love America library? And, and you know, imagine when the grandkids come over snuggling up and having them pull out a book from the I Love America you know, library, go to the, go pick out an I Love America book. I just like to call it that. These are my I Love America books, these patriotic books, or even stories of the season, you know, of Thanksgiving, having wonderful books about the pilgrims or the Easter season or the Christmas season or the 4th of July. I'm getting ready um, to pull out all my patriotic books and I'll show you how I store them in my front room. So I told my adult children, even as they begin to have uh, children, that the only gifts I'm going to give them are going to be books about our uh, children's books about uh, history or little activities about our history or Clono, we lived in Colonial Williamsburg for a time. And I said, I'm just gonna buy your kids dress up costumes or fife and drums or anything to do with our founding nation. I'm not gonna buy them just, you know, regular old toys and because I want to foster this love of America and you know it's cute they all go they all think that's kind of a cool idea so so I pledged I don't have any grandchildren yet but uh, the only thing I'm going to buy my grandchildren is things that will make them love God or love America so with my youngest child let's see that next slide who is 15, she's a freshman in high school, I kind of began to wake up to the fact that not all books are created equal. So I began to get rid of all my Barbie books and the strawberry shortcakes and the Disney books and replace them with books of our founding fathers, American history and faith. And so my house, if you were to come to my house now, it's still decorated for Easter, isn't that? I, I like to maximize when I decorate my house. I like to keep it decorated for at least two months. So it's, it's spring decor, but I have some Easter bunnies. So these are, I have a, a basket of books right in the front room and I'm gonna replace uh, all these books this weekend with a, just a bunch of patriotic books. Uh, and I just change these little books seasonally. But um, 
I, all the time, even my adult kids will will thumb through these books when they come over because it's just books that they were, I would read them and I think it just evokes uh, memories within them. So keep a basket of books and rotate them through seasonally uh, for your children or grandchildren and they will just naturally plop down and, and flip through them. And so um, now my, my little daughter, let's see the next slide because I've just, you know, made a habit of, of reading patriotic books to her. This is the book that we have been reading all this school year uh, in our family devotionals, she and I, and we just read the last page today. And it's a, let's see that next slide. It's a three-part trilogy. So I told her, there you go, that this summer we're gonna read uh, Daniel Dawson. He's gonna join the Revolutionary War. He's gonna be son of liberty. And uh, and she, by golly, she's girl. She's as girly as she gets, but she has kind of fallen in love with this little character. And and we just consistently read every single morning, just a couple pages. So that's what we're reading. I'm reading right now to my very girly girl, 15 year old, almost 16 year old daughter. Let's see the next slide. Um, and so this is me, uh, I'll read it during our family devotional. You know that I also go over the headlines in the newspaper and she has started I think because she's faster. She can whip through the headlines faster. I stop too much and talk, uh, but she reviews the headlines and I will, she still likes me to read to her the story though. So we do our little bit of Bible study. Then we do a little 5,000 year loop principle. Then we go through the headlines. Then I read this little Daniel Dawson. We sing a little song. We pray. We go over her calendar for that day and she's off. And that takes about 12 minutes. We've, we've almost got it down to a science. And so, but reading, uh, you know, a good little story is a part of our morning routine. And sometimes she even reads it in the car when I take her to school. Okay, let's see the next slide. In the um, Cottage Meeting Resource Guide, there's a recommendation for these um, um, stories of American history. Let's see that next slide. So I have read these books to my uh, daughter, these American history stories. It's And uh, there's a freedom series called Libraries of Hope. And there are stories written in the golden age of literature, kind of in the late 1800s, early 1900s, when the authors wrote to inspire patriotism and encourage faith and develop you know, strong character. And I have read these short stories to my kids often. And I have I've read to my uh, baby in the house, there's the story Bible. I've used that so many years, you know, to teach the little stories from the Bible. And it just uses the actual words from the King James version of the story. And, that, and that's been a good way to teach Bible stories as well. And you can find that link in uh, on our website and the, and the email of all the resources that you'll get, but I have, you can sign up to get one book a month. I think they're like $16.99 a month, but um, it, that's a, it's a good way to build, you know, these kind of classics, the classic version of these stories. And there's also a Patriots reading list. That's a compilation of, you know, recommended picture books or teen novels or adult nonfiction. And you'll get that in the resource and, and probably maybe a link in the chat as well, that Patriots reading list can also be found at our website. So the last um, pages of lesson number seven contain wonderful stories from American history. These stories are not included anymore, mamas and grandmothers in the, the school textbooks throughout America. Although, you know, these stories are well documented, they have been removed from most textbooks of the schools because they contain religious reference or their content is too inspiring. So they're not acceptable anymore to the textbook manufacturers. 
But these stories are part of American history. And if you don't know them, your children will never know them. Let's see the next slide. So there, of course, there's the wonderful story of the miracle of Boston in 1746 at the Old South Meeting House. We took our kids there six months ago. And that's, uh, you know, when that French fleet was coming up and they were going to burn the whole eastern seaboard. And the pastor called, you know, the little town in Boston together to pray. And a terrible storm hooped up and the shutters on the church started flapping and it wiped out that French fleet. And um, John Adams was in the church that day. He was 10 years old. And he said, that day I became a patriot. So I, when we're in Boston, we take the kids to the Old South Church. And I told you, I've gone to that church. I've gone to their bookstore in the basement. There's not one book on that miracle of Boston in the Old South Meeting House. So unless, and I've asked the tour guides if they know the story and they're like, uh, and they're just young kids. Uh, no, not really. And so if you don't know these stories, even if you take them to these sites, there's a strong chance the the you know, there's no placard that talks about it. So you, you have to know them yourself, teach them to your children. And then the next is there's a wonderful uh, story about Christopher Columbus. I won't get into Christopher Columbus so much tonight, but he's been so misaligned and your children will never, let's see that next slide, will never know the true story of Christopher Columbus unless you teach it to them. We don't even, in Washington, D.C., we, we don't even call it Christopher Columbus Day anymore. It's Indigenous People Day. They tear down statues of Christopher Columbus where I live and they call him a terrorist or a tyrant and how he, you know, enslaved and murdered the natives and, and, uh, and so your children really won't know the true story of Christopher Columbus unless you know it. And we really spell out the story of Christopher Columbus in seminar number one, section one. And I give you all kinds of resources and little books you can go to that you can read to your children. I would recommend uh, you reading that story and, and learning a little bit more about him because he's, his name is definitely known for evil and ill. And he was very inspired you know, and he'll he'll even say a heavenly messenger appeared to him and told him other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, you need to go find them. And, and uh, he opened the doors to the most phenomenal spread of Christianity since the time of the early apostles and really set the stage for the greatest nation in the history of the world. And so um, learn that story. Teach the true story of Christopher Columbus. Let's see the next slide. There's a wonderful story about a little girl. It's the gunpowder story, how a young little girl uh, ran out of a fort to, to get the gunpowder to run back in to save the fort uh, from, I think it, oh, who was it from during, was it during the Revolutionary War? And um, and what a difference one little girl made. And, and also, uh, you can tell the story of Joan of Arc in seminar one. We talk about little 14-year-old Joan of Arc and and uh, what a wonderful way to teach your children, you know, how the example, how God uses young people to fulfill his purposes. And then uh, there's a, a few other little stories. Let's see the next slide about the bombardment of Fort McHenry and and there's a, some really good stories about George Washington working alongside his troops. About a year and a half ago, these are two of my sisters, my Idaho sisters, uh, Feline and Kathleen. Feline in the middle is after 43 years is going through a divorce. She has since divorced her husband. And my other little sister had just gone through a double mastectomy. Her little hair was gone there. 
And I remember as we walked, uh, in, I took him to Colonial Williamsburg and, and uh, I told them, you know, about George Washington, how poor he was after the Revolutionary War. He was so in debt, even the, the you know, the pew uh, that he sat at in church, he was overdue and, and he wasn't able to have any children. And Abigail Adams' husband was always gone. She basically had to raise those kids because he was overseas so much. And Thomas Jefferson, how his wife died when she was 34 years old and six, four of their six children died. And Dolly Madison wasn't able to have any children with James. And then her one son that she had uh, from a previous marriage, he squandered all her money and she would die poor at the mercy of the charity of, uh, you know, the great Dolly Madison. And how I remember we talking about the Lord has never taken it easy on his children and good, good people sacrificing so much for their country. And we were able to talk about how my sisters were really right in the middle of their kind of refiner's fire and going through some difficult things that they were in good company with some very honorable and good men and women throughout history that the Lord tries and has tested his finest from the very beginning. And I certainly consider my sisters the finest there is. But you can see how you can take stories from history and help it you know, boy you up when you're going through your hard times that these great men and women went through their hard times, but they stayed the course. They did not give up. They did not curse God and lay down and die. Okay, let's, we're coming at the tail end here. This last, oh, and my sweet little mama, I think, I think of, that's a funny picture of my mom. She's so pretty though with her red lipstick. Uh, I had the best memories. She would divorce my father when I was a young girl. She had nine children and we were so poor. But I remember sitting at the counter while she was cleaning the kitchen or making dinner. And she would tell me the stories of her childhood on the farm. And she had a famous mother um, who uh, was like, you know, Dinah Shore, for some of you older ladies, my my grandmother is actually offered the job to be the talk show host. But uh, the dinosaur, before dinosaur, it would have been my grandmother, but my she turned it down because her three daughters did not want to leave Utah and move to Los Angeles. And so she tells me the story of going, they lived on the farm and then they, their faith journey to come to Utah and then grandma's little career and, and um, the great grandmother that, you know, came also and life on the farm versus life you know grandma had a tv show and a radio show and wrote for a, a daily a column in the newspaper and i would just sit and i mama would tell me these stories and how those stories were so instrumental in shopping shaping my identity as a as a smith woman knowing the the lineage of strong women that i came from let's see that next quote it's been said that when the world is in chaos and not able to locate its identity it's the storytellers that bring it back to the center because the storytellers are the keeper of the culture Mothers, your stories can heal a nation. Without a story, we don't even have a nation. Stories of our shared heritage unite hearts, and it's in the uniting of the hearts that gives us the strength and the courage to push through the hard times. Our children's ability, I love this thought, our children's ability to maintain hope during their trying situations will be in direct proportion to how deep and how broad their reservoir of stories are. A heart stock full of stories provides solutions to draw from 
for every problem that they're going to face in life. Stories keep hearts from failing. There's a, our last quote today, happier than fairy tale, more marvelous than any wonder book. The story of the United States of America is one that begins once upon a time and has come to the point where it depends upon the boys and the girls who read it to say whether or not they shall live happily ever after. Well, I'm certainly rooting for happily ever after. May God inspire you as you read and learn and share the best stories with your loved ones, your children, your grandchildren, and get in the habit of bringing in quality books and building your I Love America library. Let the storytelling begin, mamas. Thank you so much. That is our lesson for today. I'm